Sup, fucker. What's up? Dude, this is the first, like, one-on-one podcast. It's pretty sweet, like huh? Ever? Ever. I haven't heard all of them. What? I listened to all the ones you posted, but I know oh, you okay. do ones outside of that. Well, I only have, like, one or two other episodes that I haven't posted, and they're still, like... Not a one-on-one? Yeah, they're three pieces. Lucky me? Lucky you. You have to do all the talking because I'm not a talk talker. Well, no. That's not how that works. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk about uh, relationships today. And when I had this on the list of topics, I should have prefaced by also saying it's not just romantic relationships. It's also friendships or family relationships, relationships with your kids, things like that. So it's kind of a heavy topic. Yeah. So with that said, my first question is, what do you think is the number one cornerstone for any relationship to not only survive, but to thrive? Trust. That's a big one. Well, trust and loyalty. And I think those go both in the same in my mind anyways. And that's for any relationship, whether it's mother, daughter, dad, son, brother, sister, in a mutual relationship between boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, loyalty, trust. Because without that, I don't think that there's anything. I think everything just slowly will just fall away. Yeah. I, my preference is respect. And I feel like that kind of encompasses both of those. Like, if you can't respect me as a person we don't need to talk. We're not friends or anything. You know what I mean? And I've only kind of recently learned that that's a a subconscious requirement for men. I was about to say, I think that's a man thing. It is. And and that's why I'm not saying that because there's plenty of women out there that probably feel the same way. But me as a woman, I need more trust and loyalty than I do respect. Cause I, I know I can earn your respect. So even if it's not there already in the beginning, I know that I can earn it. So it doesn't have to be straight up, I need respect now. I know I can build you up to respect me because you're going to trust me. And you know that I have loyalty. Yeah. And that's a very fair point. And yeah, it does go down to a, a gender thing in terms of what a man would want versus what a woman would want. And, and I think it's fair on both sides. So with that said, if trust is broken in a relationship, can it be earned back? I think so. I think so too, but I think it's whoever it is trying to earn that trust back has to really fucking work at it. Agreed. I feel like if trust is broken, it's one of those things as a person, you don't want to trust again. Which really plays into relationships in general. It does. Like, that's something that I have struggled with forever. Because if I think back in my lifetime, who do I really trust? Nobody. It's not a very big list for me either. For me, it's nobody. Which I get. 
Like, and I want to say that respectfully to everybody that I love and care about. Yeah. But that's something that is my problem. Because I think to a point, if you don't trust anybody, then you have to look in the mirror and realize that maybe you don't trust anybody because you don't trust yourself. I think that's much more of a grounded perspective of it. Because a lot of, especially trust issues, come from insecurities. And sometimes, I should say most of the time, you get those insecurities from other people because of broken trust. And it's hard to just, like, let go of, you know, whatever that is that caused you to be that way so that you can be open to trusting. But I think trust comes in so many different forms of, like, not just say, I trust my partner to not cheat on me. It also goes in the trust of, I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I'm going to trust you to, like, treat that with care, not just be like, oh, you're just being a wimp or whatever. Or it's trust to say that, uh, you know, you're going to give somebody trust and expect them to not break it. You know what I mean? Right. So, <clears throat> I noticed you have some notes over there. I have lots of notes. Well, let's throw one out. Let's see what you got. I just mostly was looking at, like, statistics. And this is more of on a... As far as my notes, it's more on a relationship between partners. Yeah. Not relationships as far as, like, mother and daughter or grandparents or children. Well, I think it's natural to when you talk about relationship gravitate toward a partner or a romantic relationship because most of the time a relationship between like you and your children or you and your sibling or you or you and you know your lifelong friends or whatever it's easier to like nurture that with the natural feeling that comes with it because you naturally love that person so you can automatically have a give and take with it versus with a romantic partner, there's so many more layers to it than with the others. Well, I think I agree 110%, but I think, because I was thinking about this last night when I was sitting there, like, trying to look at statistics and everything and trying to figure out the gravity of how relationships affect us as human beings. If me and you were doing this podcast as 10-year-olds, and we were doing a podcast on relationships. Being a 10-year-old relationship, what would you think? You think about your siblings. You think about mom, yeah. dad, perhaps grandparents, aunts, uncles. As we get older, we gravitate towards personal relationships as adults. I agree. And that can coincide with like friendships and relationships with children if you have them. But yeah, if we were 10 years old right now, he's like, let's talk about relationships as a 10-year-old. You'd be like, oh, I want to talk about my mom and I want to talk about my dad. Yeah. So as you get older, you're just like, you focus on what you have now that's your world. Yeah. And, and naturally that comes with, in a way, outgrowing your, your own nuclear family that you grew up with. Because it's like... Your siblings have their own life. Your parents have their own life. You have your life. And you have these people in your life that become the core of your relationships. 
And that's where we, like you said, we tend to focus the older we get because those are the people that are with us all the time, not just, you know, your sibling or your mom or your dad or whatever. So yeah, to get started on some of my notes. I love it when people have notes. I love it. If we want to just start off without getting into like mom and dad and kids and stuff. I just definitely indulge in the fact that because I've been married once, haven't got married again, never thought I wanted to get married again until now my current relationship where I'm like, I want to marry this man. Yeah. Never felt that before. It's amazing what time does to you <laughs> or a person, I should say, not a, time and a person can do to you. But when you really look at the statistics of relationships between a man and a woman or a man and a man, female, female, as far as marriage and growing a family, just in America, because I didn't go worldwide with this information, but just in America, like it says that only 15, 50% of marriages end up in divorce with your first marriage. Mm-hmm. With your second marriage, 67% only last. Third marriage, 73%. So it's like, that goes to show you that we grow as human beings. It's true. And and I remember seeing this thing uh, some time ago, and it, and it still sticks with me, and that statistic kind of like reinforces the idea that, and it sounds kind of corny, but... You fall in love three times in your life when the first time you're too young and you ruin it because you're young or you together ruin it because you're both young. And then your second one is the one you get really hurt on. And that's the one that changes you as a person. And then your third one comes out of nowhere and that's the right one. But I also kind of have have that as like a hope like, hey, maybe there's hope for me yet. Well, that's exactly where I'm at. So I'm like, statistically, I hate that word. I suck at saying it. Statistically, I'm on my actual third dedicated relationship. And I'm just like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. This is what I'm going to fight for. This is the one I want. This is where if it doesn't work out, I'm doomed. (laughs) I felt that way after the second one. But having the third one now, it's just like, the reality really checks into where I know it's real because for the first time with inside myself, I want to change who I am instead of trying to change the other person. Well, and I think that just shows like real growth and maturity to, to say that not that I'm willing to bend myself around this relationship, but to say that I want to be the best version of myself, not just for me, but for that other person too. And me being on the the backside of my second one, I kind of go like, yeah, I'm in a place where I do need to be the best version of myself because I need to be, because I want to be. But on the flip side of that, if the right person comes along, I should still be that best version of myself so that I'm ready for that. So I'm ready to receive that in my life. And you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Yeah. Well, and I think 
pretty sure that um, my partner that I'm with right now, I'm pretty sure this is his second. I almost want to call it his first, though. So there's that part like where you're at in the relationship where you're like, hopefully that person is there, too. I feel like he is. I want him to be there. But it's like because of my own personal growth, it's I've had to take the whole statistic route where it's like, ah, shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't I think um, I would say he's more the exception than the rule. Absolutely. Because I know he's a very special guy. He's a good friend of mine, too, you know. And, yeah, I think yeah, that's going to work out. And, and I have the highest hopes for you guys to work out. Like I said, I'm going to be your bridesmaid when you guys get married. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to wear the dress, everything. We've already had this conversation. Yeah. You can't wear a dress to look better than me. No. You'll get all the attention. Yeah, because they're going to be like, what's this hairy dude wearing a dress for? This is weird. Non-traditional. It's fine. It's 2024. That's true. We can just call you a... Dude's maid. It. it yeah. Whatever. You can use whatever pronoun it, you want. It, it's not it, my it, wedding day. It, it's it yours. Made. Yeah. It made. Dude made. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'll sit down and talk about that. That's fine. So, like, within a romantic relationship, what is, like, the number one killer? So, I really thought about this before we did the podcast. And I'm like, when I asked myself that question, what's the number one killer, what it was for me? was lack of communication. I agree with that. But according to statistics on Google, <laughs> the, according to Google, the number one reason for divorce is lack of commitment. And I don't know if I agree with that. Because I, I personally, don't. I don't, for me, but, but then again, it goes back to my number one thing, the trust and loyalty. So I'm like, then again, it does make sense. But I guess maybe that's just my own personal world of like, I don't have to worry about a lack of commitment or loyalty and trust within myself. So it's my own personal feelings for the reason why it didn't work out for me is yeah. because there was a lack of communication. Whereas yeah. I guess according to statistics for everybody else, it was like there was a lack of commitment. I think, if I had to guess, I'd say that information is much more based on, like, the current kind of dating culture instead of an actual, real, committed relationship. And and I also think communication is a very big umbrella term. Because, yeah, you could sit down and talk about something all day long. But until there's a sense of understanding, it's, right. like... Even doing this, we could sit here and talk about it. But if I'm not trying to understand your point of view or what it is you're trying to say, it means nothing and vice yeah. versa. So it's, what's, what's the other word? It's, uh, oh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I had a term for it. But yeah, it, it's not just 
trying to listen to your partner is you have to also understand their point of view. You have to understand where they're coming from and you do have to validate that person's feelings even if you don't agree with it. Because you, you yeah, could say... Yeah, so it comes down to like my number one thing is I need reassurance. Yes. When it comes to communication. So if I'm communicating to my partner or even just a family member or anybody that I love or trust... I need reassurance that you accept my feelings, but then also you'll make me accountable for my feelings. And that's, I think the number one thing that people struggle to do in any relationship is be willing to stand in each other's fire. And what I mean by that is like, let's say I call you out on something that I know you're doing wrong. That's me standing in your fire because you may not be able to see it or you may not be able to accept that this thing that you're doing is wrong. But I have to be in that mindset that like, I got to check you on your shit, but I'm going to stay here and hold your hand until you get through it or till we get through it or whatever it is to be able to like, again, have that accountability, but not just saying, Oh, you did this wrong and you fucked up and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah, no, this thing you did is wrong. And we're going to deal with it together. And that's, it's not always easy. And it's not always fun to, you know, call anybody out, no matter who it is. If it's your partner, your friend, or your, your parent, it doesn't matter. You don't want to have to do it. You don't want to have to be the asshole. But sometimes you have to. And that's a lesson I learned very late. But at the same time, it's still a valuable lesson. Because if you can't not only present that sense of accountability but help that person through, what did you really do? You just called them on their shit and left. That's, that's disrespectful on your behalf, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I, I like the way that you put that, like standing in somebody's fire, because when somebody's really going through somebody, something and they need somebody there to help them through it, and no matter what relationship it is, you want somebody to stand in your fire with you. Absolutely. You want somebody, and for me, necessarily, it's not to feel my pain. So you're in a fire that's going to be painful. It's fire. It's hot. You're burning. You feel like you're dying. Yeah. It's the end. I don't need you to feel the pain. I need you to hold my hand through it, though. Exactly. And, and that's why I say it's not just about calling you on it. It's about helping you get through it. So it's... I think a lot of people are incapable because everybody wants to feel like they're always right. Especially when you're in a committed relationship. Not everybody. Most people. I know. You've seen the gesture in my head. I just... Because I'm a huge Dr. Phil fan. Hardcore. <laughs> Nerd. I know. I love Dr. Phil because he has... I don't agree with everything about Dr. Phil. He's not a perfect human being. Nobody is. I mean, I'm close, but I'm not... Dr. Phil's close too, so if you're on that level, maybe that's why I like you. <laughs> I got just a little bit more hair though. It's true. But he's taller, so he's got that one on me. But he definitely, now I lost, now I lost thoughts. I'm just laughing. What were we talking about? About everybody wanting to be right. Oh, that's right. So one of Dr. Phil's most famous sayings is like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? I love it when he says that to people because we are right fighters. 
we as are. human beings. Like we want to be right. It's like there's some like our endorphins or whatever. Like we're just like yes, I'm right. I win. You suck. You know. But are you happy if you're right? That's the funny thing about me is that I get zero thrill about being right. None. If if you tell me. Not when it comes to trivia. Well, okay. I'll give you that one. I'm a huge nerd on that. But that's more of my own internal yeah, thing I'm, of I'm like... Just, I'm just Yeah, you. I know. Um, no, and, and I was with somebody who always had to be right all the time. And I learned over time that it's like you have to discern, do you want to be right or do you want to be correct? Because being right just means you have the correct answer, Right. But being correct is sometimes saying, yeah, I'm right, but I'm not going to beat you up about it. Sometimes it's more about like, okay, you have your perspective and I have mine. This is my perspective and to me it's correct. And you have your perspective and you're also correct. It's not, it shouldn't be about, no, you're wrong and I'm right. That's, that's not conducive to anybody in anything unless it's like science because science doesn't care about opinions. It's facts. Yeah. Other than that, especially when it comes to relationships, when you're just right all the time, all you're doing is just beating down your partner because you consistently have to be right. That's your ego. That's not you being a partner. That's you going, no, my feelings are this and this is right. And you're wrong. And all that does is make you feel like a piece of shit when somebody just tells you you're wrong. Yeah. Agree completely. And what... I think you're trying to come down to or what I'm hearing from you is like you can be right but you can be humble yeah there's a difference between being right and beating somebody down over it or being correct and being humble yeah because correct isn't necessarily like a factual or infactual term it's did you have the correct root about it did you go about it the right way of being right, you know, it, it's about, uh, you know, you feel a way about one thing and I feel a different way about it. It's, it's accepting that another person has a different feeling and you don't need to lord that power over them because maybe factually you were more correct. It's, it's just a, it's a thing that a lot of people do and it drives me fucking nuts because it's like people's need to be right takes over their empathy to understand somebody else. And I hate that because it's like, it, if I'm wrong about a factual term, yeah, you can set me straight. I'm perfectly okay with that. I have no bones about like, oh, no, 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 I know better. No, it's maybe you know more than I do and I accept that. And I'd rather learn from it than just be like, no, I can't be. Versus like, like I said, if, if your feelings are different than mine, have some empathy towards my feelings and vice versa. Instead of just being like, no, 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 shut up. You're wrong. Agreed. And I feel like I'm, I personally am the same way. I automatically assume throughout my whole entire lifetime that I'm just wrong. Like, and, but when I feel like I'm right in something that I'm really passionate about it. And yeah. then I'm just like, I always feel like I'm wrong, but this time I'm right. And that's when I become a right fighter. So that's when I have to like really like sit back and breathe and go, 
listen to Dr. Field. You want to be right, you want to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and sometimes you have to just concede points. And because I'm hardly ever right, I... Well, not that I'm hardly ever right. I'm t- because of my childhood and how I grew up, and because of my circles and situations that I chose to put myself in as an adult, always feeling wrong. That that satisfaction of being right is where I have to eat my humble pie and realize: Do you want to be right on this, or do you want to be humble and find the correction? In the situation and understand whoever you're having the argument with or debate what does it really matter if you're right or not yeah you know and I think that's the biggest problem with human communication especially especially with people who think they're much more intelligent than they really are and because they have that same factor of like they're going to try to make you feel less than because they believe that they're always right. And it's like, it's not about that. It's, I think the, the number one sign of intelligence is for one to always assume you're wrong, which is going to force you to listen to other people or seek out information because you assume you're wrong. And then if you're proven right, great. And if you find out you're wrong, you were right. So you win no matter what. And a lot of people just don't have that capability to get outside their own mindset to be like, okay, maybe this person has a a better point of view than I do. Let me listen to them and not just listen, but understand what they're saying instead of just being like trying to confirm that they have the right hypothesis. You know what I mean? It's you have to make evidence to build a conclusion, not get a conclusion and find evidence to support it. That's horseshit. That's not how anything works. Agreed. And it, it takes a lot of wisdom to finally get there to be like, okay, I believe X, Y, or Z. Now let me go find facts that support what I think. No, you're cherry picking information. That's not the same as when you compare all the facts together and you go, okay, this is the actual conclusion. And I was not right about it. Yeah. And as you're saying all of that things, I'm th- all those things I'm thinking about all of those relationships that I've had my entire life and it makes me feel grateful for myself because I grew up around a lot of right fighters and I think that I am the type of person that feels wrong all the time because I did look out look at the outside perspective of everything trying to figure out am I really right because if I'm going to go up against a right fighter, I got to get my facts straight. You do, and that's that's the single greatest disarmament factor is actually having the facts. You can't just go off beliefs or opinions or feelings. It's again that that sign of a higher intelligence that you want to go out and seek the information to support what it is that you're fighting for. But you also have to be understanding that maybe that information that you find doesn't actually support what you support. At which point you have to admit, this is just my feeling. And I have, I give people much more credibility if they come at me with something that they're saying and they say, this is just my opinion. Okay, cool. We have a basis that we can talk about no matter what it is. But if you come at me and say, 
the fact is the sky is fucking purple. I'm going to say, shut up. You're wrong. And this is why. Let's go outside. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just the idea that like, again, circling back to people who think they're more intelligent than they really are, is you have to kind of know your audience and know where you're actually going to be able to not necessarily win, but you're going to get that person to understand. And you, you already know, like there are people that you can't have conversations with because they're just never going to be wrong about anything. That humbleness is not there. No. But they like to say they're humble. I've oh, known yes. quite a few very, very arrogant people who like to say, I too am extremely modest. It's like, if you have to say that out loud, no, you're not. Yeah, that's a, a lesson that I didn't learn until I, like two years ago. And that was with my own mother. Yeah, so that's a difficult relationship to talk about. And I don't want to like push any boundaries but I know that you've got a very like strained relationship with your mother and I don't want to like go too far into it but I want to ask you how do you think that has changed the dynamic of the relationship with your own daughters it's a heavy question no it's a small question with a very big (laughs) answer Okay, heavy for me, but yes, you're right. Something that I've been learning about myself within the last two years is that because my mother is such a right fighter, I was convinced for 32 years of my life that she was right. Outside of my teenage phase, (coughs) when all teenagers think that they're right about everything, I had that moment. I think all of us do. And that's that's like your first understanding of your path to maturity. Yeah. When you get into your 30s. And I back and I was like, why didn't I continue to listen to myself? But as far as it affecting my own children, I have come to realize because of my relationship with my mother and just trusting everything she said because she was such a right fighter, I damaged my children. How's that? Because I didn't have enough self-confidence to give them the tools that they needed to realize that life is not so black and white. Because I feel like a right fighter, definitely everything's either black or white. Yeah. There is no gray area. And because I grew up that way, I always tried to find the gray area because my mother was so black and white. Hmm. And I raised my kids in the gray area. So I haven't had the boundaries that they've needed of the black and white. If that makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense (laughs) to me because it's a spectrum. There's zero and there's a hundred. Yeah. And then I don't think it's wrong to try to raise your kids at 50. But it is, you know, and I'm not giving parenting advice. I'm a terrible parent. But when you, when you understand that, or I I should say, like when you teach them that you can go from zero to a hundred and everything's limitless in between is different. I I don't think that's damaging. I think that's just 
what you knew because you wanted to break free from like this shitty mold that you got placed in. It doesn't make you a bad parent. I, I think more exceptionally, it's just taught you to teach them that not everything is this or that, or it could be a combination of both because gray is black and white, or, you know, it's just teaching them how to be in that spectrum of understanding. Yeah. So I, I, I think you're just being a little bit too hard on yourself. I think we're always hard on ourselves. If you're a humble person, anyways, I think you're always hard on yourself. But I have to come to the reality of I, I have damaged my children raising them in that gray area. And it's not because I'm a bad parent. No. I know I'm not a bad parent. I know that I, to a point, am too much of a good parent because I live in that gray area so much. I don't really know what boundaries are, even for myself. So I haven't even really given my children enough boundaries. It was easy when they were little. Yeah. But now having a teenager, I'm completely lost. <laughs> completely lost, which I feel like every parent who has a teenager goes through that. But I'm now having to step into... We're, I'm not raising you in the gray area anymore. There is black and white in the world where I should have been better about giving more black and white into it, but because of my own childhood trauma, I didn't give it to him. Yeah. So it doesn't make me a bad parent. It was just like you were saying, I was just doing what I thought was right. But turns out it did hinder my children to a point because I didn't know any better. And I really didn't. It wasn't me just slacking off or not caring I literally just wanted to give him everything outside of what I had yeah and I think the one thing that most people have a really hard time with distinguishing is a person's capacity at the moment and it, and it, and it kind of goes back to you know relationships with a partner so I could look back and go, okay, yeah, my ex-partner did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong or was wrong about this. But I rarely ever take into account, okay, what was that person's capacity at the time? What were they actually capable of? And I think we should all be taking that into account when it comes to dealing with anybody at any given moment of like, okay, you, you weren't capable of teaching the black and white at the time you only taught the gray because that was the only thing you had the capacity for. And now that you're, you're a little bit older and you have a, a teenage daughter, now you understand that it's not just this little section here, it's this whole big spectrum. And now you have the capacity to teach that. And a teenager doesn't necessarily have the capacity to learn that. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're very intelligent teenagers and things like that, but maturity emotionally is just non-existent and i'm going to say that for most all teenagers because they don't have that capacity not most all like it's scientific their frontal lobe is not developed no and like it's not their reasoning is not there so something that i very love about my current therapist is that she's definitely taught me that for all those times that you sit there and try to fight with anybody under a certain age i think she said 23 before your frontal lobe is like developed, you're basically just wasting oxygen. They don't hear 
what you're saying. All they feel is the emotions. Yeah. So, yeah, I literally think back of all those times I'm trying to explain something to my teenager, and I'm just like, wow, I wish I would have known that before. Because I feel like we do run out of breath, even not even just with teenagers. I feel like we do it in all of our relationships. Relationships, We will want that, like I was saying earlier, we want that reassurance. Yeah. That you're hearing my point of view. And whether it's coming from a bad place or a good place, I feel like we're always going back to wanting understanding and the acknowledgement and that reassurance of your own validation. Well, I think it's necessary and it's, it's a very reciprocal thing that you always have to be mindful of like, yeah, I need my reassurance. But I also have to return it, especially when you're in like a committed relationship with another adult where, yeah, you, you need that validation. You need to be told once in a while you're doing good or or have that respect level or some sense of them being grateful to you. But you also have to reciprocate it back to them. Otherwise, they're just going to tune out and they're just going to go, well, I, everything I'm doing is for nothing. You know, yeah, we get stuck in our own feelings. We do, and and it's something I learned way too late was to be able to put in my own boundary to say, I do need that validation. I do need to be told once in a while, not every day, that I am doing a good job. I don't need a cookie for everything I do right. But hey, you know, maybe like on a quarterly, just tell me I'm doing okay. You know what I mean? It, it, it's so kind of difficult to, to say that out loud, especially to a partner. But deep down, we need it, so why can't we just say it? You can say, I need food, I need water, I need oxygen. Why can't you just say, I need a little bit of validation? I love that. I love that. Because I don't know what it is about me. I think that my mother plays into it a lot. Probably going to mention my mom a lot. <laughs> I'll, I'll just throw in there that... Daddy issues too, but my mommy issues I'm discovering are a lot higher than my daddy issues. But I feel like if you are not validated by both parents, either one parent over the other, you carry that into your adulthood, no matter what. And I do think it definitely affects, like if you're a male like you are, I feel like the father is more important because you guys are from the same gene. Yeah. To where females for their daughters same thing so for me I always thought for the longest time I had daddy issues I'm really discovering for myself my relationship problems does stem from me not having confidence as a woman because my mom was never emotionally there for me and that's something that as you're growing through childhood and teenage age and your early years of adulthood, that's not like anybody who figures that out early on, like kudos to you. Like that's amazing. Cause some people reach their fifties and sixties and they're just like, Oh shit. What have I been doing my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> to where I was like, I'm grateful that I do have that realization and have had it since an early age that I do realize that I do have my issues with my fa my father and my mother 
and I've carried that into my children's lives, like that's a blessing in disguise. It is. For all of my relationships, including my self-relationship. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you want to call it self-respect, self-love, to really look at yourself and go, I need to validate myself. I need to reassure myself. So everything that we're looking for in relationships, are you giving it to yourself? Or are you just trying to get it from everybody around you to give it to yourself? Yeah, and that's that's actually a very unique perspective. And it, I kind of think about it in my terms of like, I have an opposing problem where when I was growing up, my parents never shied away from an opportunity to say, I'm proud of you. And it, anything you did right, you got an A on a test, well, I'm proud of you. Or you, you know, you learned some new skill, you did whatever it was, they would say, I'm proud of you. And they, they still do it to this day. And kind of being in a long-term relationship, and I'm not trying to like throw shade on my ex, but I would go out of my way to tell her all the time that I was proud of her because that's that's a great sense of validation. And it's because I had it so much growing up. When I didn't have it, it felt like shit. So it almost kind of became like a drug in a way. And she never once told me she was proud of me. And and I look back at that and I go, that's fucked up, man. Like I, I, I had accomplishments. I did certain things right and blah, blah, blah. But then it, it goes back to that capacity that she didn't have the capacity to say that because maybe she didn't hear it growing up or nobody ever told her. But yes, it, the self-love part has to play into it and it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. You have to be able to tell yourself, I am proud of myself for whatever it is you do. You know, like every time I post one of these podcasts, as silly as it sounds, I feel proud of myself a little bit because they're not always easy to do. It's not easy to kind of like get outside yourself and give yourself a voice so that when I do it, I go, okay, I'm breaking the mold of me trying to like hide away from everything for so long. So when I hit, you know, save or whatever, I feel a little bit proud and it's okay to give yourself those little victories. But I think in terms of a relationship that I think needs to be a, a bigger like cornerstone of being proud of each other for what you do, even if it's the little things, you know, like if you come home and, and he cleaned the whole house top to bottom, giving that validation again to just be like, you did a really good job. And, it, and the same goes with parents and children. So I, even my daughter who's six, you know, when she, when I pick her up from school and she like has to break out of her paper from her backpack on her homework to show she got a hundred. Hey, I'm really proud of you. You did a great job. Because I think that that amount of validation goes so much further. But you also have to be careful with it because sometimes when you're always telling somebody you're proud of them, when you disappoint them, it feels so much worse. You're like, oh man, I actually disappointed my dad this time. Now I feel like a real piece of shit. But if you can flip the script on that and go, okay, I'm going to try harder next time so I don't feel that. Yeah, I completely agree because like I was saying before, like I parent so much in that gray area and I literally just call it parenting out of guilt. 
because I'm trying to fulfill something inside myself that I didn't get as a child and I'm trying to give that to my children. Whereas, like you were saying, your parents would tell you that they were proud of you all the time. My biological father has never said that to me. Never will. I know that. I've accepted it. Still hurts, but I know it. My stepfather never, like, he'll, he's the type of man where he, he shows it. Mm-hmm. He won't say the words, but he'll show it. When my mom allows him to. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta throw that in there. Your mom's a cunt, by the way. (laughs) And then my mother, the first time my mom told me that she was proud of me is when I was 31 years old. I just separated from my longest relationship. And on a whim, like I got off work, I was actually driving to go pick up my kids after after a whole long days of work and trying to figure out my life and what I'm doing instead of driving to go pick up my kids I drove to a car dealership and I bought the newest car which is my golden car that I have now mm-hmm. I feel like it speaks volumes just by the color you don't see a whole lot of gold cars out there <laughs> I love it and I felt so proud of myself for being able to walk on to a car lot and buy that by myself. I didn't need a co-signer like I did with my last car. I had the money to put the down payment, and I knew that I had a stable job that would make the payments, very high payments, but I was like, I, I can do this. And then I pulled up in front of my parents' house to pick up my kids, and I was like, guess what mommy got today? <laughs> and my dad came, my, my stepdad came out to see it. My kids ran out, and my nephew... And everybody's so happy, and we're all happy. We go back inside, and we're sitting there. My mom never went outside to go see it. But she looked at me, and she said, I am so proud of you. And for me, like, I wanted it to be, like, that feeling of, wow, my mom's proud of me. Even though I graduated high school a year early, Hmm. being homeschooled. I worked two to three jobs from the age of 15 to 18. That didn't make her proud. I sustained from sexual relationships. I went into the religion that she felt like she wanted me to be in. I did everything that I thought that would actually mean something outside of me being materialistic. So for her saying it to me for the first time, it's like, that's what I had to do this whole time? Buy a car? I don't even own it yet. I'm going to have to be paying these payments monthly. You forever. Know, and it's just like... I think that's like... Um, again, capacity. And from what I gather, she has an extremely limited capacity for anyone besides herself. But that also kind of plays into like... The narcissist part... Of like, I'm proud of you because now you have something that you can show off. Not because of the work you did to get there. Not because of everything you had to sacrifice or stay away from that you actually wanted to be able to get this thing. It's because you got this one thing and I get to brag about it too.
So the the narcissism thing too is something that I wanted to talk about because of how much it actually affects relationships. And finally having been corrected on what a narcissist really is versus having narcissistic traits, it's still a very hazy line. But I tend to look at like your situation with your mom and I go, that's a real narcissist. Because after my therapist or our therapist, whatever you want to say, finally corrected me on what it was, I had to deep dive on it. So I didn't go in with the wrong terminology again. Because I don't like to do that. It makes me feel like a jackass. Yeah, she fits the bill. And part of the reason I asked how you feel like that changed your relationship dynamic with your daughters is because... My natural thinking is you're going to do the polar opposite of everything she did so you don't do the the same mistakes. The mind fuckery. Yeah, and a big part of that is just intrinsic with being heavily religious, almost zealot-like. And But I don't know, it seems to me like you've got a much better grasp on being a mom than she did. Well, I, God, I hope so. Nah, you're doing great. <laughs> no, I know that I am. Because I know I'm very, very proud of both of my children. And we, we talked about this on the line at work. And I even told you the concept of somebody calling my mother a narcissist was something that I refused to accept. And it was actually my oldest sibling that flat out said it to me, which me and my oldest sibling have never gotten along. We have a very toxic relationship and a lot of baggage that we carry together. But he was the first person to look at me and say, mom's a narcissist and you just need to accept it. And me being who I am, and having that commitment to my mother, I was just like, yeah, you can go fuck yourself. No, she's not. You're the narcissist. It's something I did not want to accept. And even to this day, I'm still the type of person where I, I'd like to call her a narcissist because I can check all the boxes. But then I can't call her a narcissist because she's never been diagnosed as one. Yeah. I can check all the boxes. And that was another thing that the therapist had told me, like, and I, I tried to tell her, like, I, I don't want to slap labels on people. I'm, I'm not like a qualified psychologist or anything like that. And it feels very unfair for me to just say, oh, this person is this, or this person's bipolar, or, this person has BPD or whatever it is. But there's very few cases where I can go, yeah, no, that person is textbook. And I know because I read the textbook. That's definitely one that fits the bill. And I think especially within more uh, romantic-based relationships, when those relationships end and you have a hard time seeing past things that went wrong or faults with that person that you were with, like we tend to gravitate towards these terms that we can just slap on them to make ourselves feel better. But that doesn't mean narcissistic traits still don't have an effect. Right. But Which, I also... I mean... 
bricks weigh, have weight no matter what. I mean. Yeah. And I honestly, I had no idea what a narcissist was until um, my ex-husband was dragging me and my daughter through a custody battle. And I also didn't know the term codependency. But going through therapy and just talking to a professional, she was like, the first thing that she said to me within six months of being her patient, she was like, you are codependent of your ex-husband. And I was like, uh, explain. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? <laughs> Come on, Lucy. Explain it. <laughs> and she explained codependency, and I felt attacked. Because I was like, there's no way that I'm codependent of Max. We've been divorced for three years. And you're telling me, what? Like, I was, I just wanted to curl up into a ball or dig a hole and somebody bury me. Because I'm like, no way, I, I am more than that. I'm more than codependent of some man that I was married to. And now in a new relationship and have a whole nother kid for you to look, for you to tell me, like I was insulted. So it was one of those moments where I was just like, oh my gosh, look at yourself in the mirror and go, if it looks like a duck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's one thing yeah. that I had to square up with myself after my last relationship and, and to realize that I had very codependent nature. I, I, I can't say whether or not I was codependent, but I put too much reliance on that person for my own happiness it, but that was also a way for me to deflect the fact that I was ignoring my own happiness because I was putting so much into somebody else instead of looking inside myself but I also think part of that comes from like a, a people pleasing standpoint where I go I'm always trying to people please or help everybody else with their problems and I put all my shit last and I think once you can actually solve that riddle of why do you do that, then you stop just being codependent altogether because you go, okay, no, I got to deal with me. At the end of the day, when I'm in bed, it's just me. And I'm the person I got to deal with. So I need to deal with me. I need to be codependent on myself. And it's, it's hard, man. Especially when you really have that realization moment of like, yeah, I'm, I'm being very codependent. To be able to go, okay, I do not want to be that. I'm stronger than that. I'm better than that. How do I break free from it? It's not easy. No, it's not. And I kind of wish I had learned that from a therapist. I figured that one out on my own. Good job. No, it sucked. I would have rather just been told. I feel like I could have <laughs> dealt with it a lot faster and easier. I don't know. I feel like I'm like, would I still be codependent? professional one would have to tell me that like I was that blind to it but I feel like that definitely ties into narcissism it does narcissists literally go after people who it's like they can sniff you out They're like oh that's the one they can literally look into a crowd of people and see that's the people pleaser that's the empath yeah that's the person that I know I can make them do everything I need and want them to do well, th that's the thing Crazy. with, it's so strange when you look at like the dichotomy of a narcissist and who they end up with, 
and a narcissist will almost always pick a very empathic person. That's because you can get the most out of them than you can anybody else. And, and I believe it's empathy isn't just something you feel. It's I think it's in a lot of ways something you are. Because now I don't want to get like super holistic about it, but I do believe you can just feel other people. You can feel that energy. You can feel when somebody's hurt or down. And it's your natural instinct to try to help them or do things for them or put your hand out to them, you know. But it's like with a narcissist because they're so empty and then an empath is actually so full, you try to fill their cup and you're just emptying your cup at the same time. Yeah, and they even when you're empty, they're still like, you still have more in you. Yeah, no, like I'm not a water dispenser. There's only so much in there. And, and then when you run out, that's when the narcissist is like, new supply. Yeah, I don't need you anymore. And then you're just like, what? Right? Well, thankfully for me, with both of my narcissistic relationships, which is my mother and my ex-husband, I recognized it. <coughs> and even though I did go back to my mother, <coughs> I recognized it again. It took me many years again. But both of those relationships, I was always the one to take myself away from it because I did feel myself draining. Like, hmm. I can't give you any, what more do you want from me? Yeah. To where I've seen other people in narcissistic relationships and like number one person that comes to mind is my little brother. I don't think he'll ever escape that drainage. And you know him personally. Yeah. He's just... He's too God, you could just like push him over and he'd just, he'd just fall over and be like, yeah, I'm dead. It is what it is. Yeah, he's, and I'm not trying to throw stones, but he's, he's just a very meek person. He's a good he, human being that doesn't have his personal capabilities or the tools, I should yeah, say. Yeah, he definitely seems extremely stunted and not only... His emotional growth, but his intelligence level. That was my mother's goal. That's why we were homeschooled. Well, she won on one of them and lost on the other. Scales always balance out, right? Sure. <laughs> In some way, shape, or form, you know. There's definitely... Um, So understanding what I understand now is there are people who have selfish habits in life. And in one thing I learned from uh, Kara was that some people's emotional growth stops at a certain point. And what she told me, and it was, it was very profound, and it, it definitely like pushed me down the rabbit hole of... Um, for a lot of people, it's when addiction kicks in. When you become addicted to something, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, you stop growing from that point forward on an emotional level until you can break free from that addiction. Then you grow. Um, but more than likely, it happened at such a, a young, early age that all those thoughts and feelings and opinions and just the way you are as a person at that age is what you're still at. So, it, um, 
just kind of being in a very early age mindset where you think only about yourself or you latch onto things to create a personality because you don't have one of your own and things like that. So understanding that point, yeah, no, I wouldn't say a narcissist is the right word. I would just say emotionally stunted. And that's, I think, a problem that more people have than we're all willing to admit. And the greatest catalyst for emotional growth or emotional intelligence is pain. You get hurt, you grow. And I think for or you, you don't. or you don't. But I think that's what separates the strong from the weak is you have to know that strength comes from being weak. When you're really hurt and when you're wounded, you'll learn to heal. When you feel weak, you're going to learn how to be strong. You don't go to the gym and you can do, you know, a hundred reps right away. You may be going and do one and then the next day you do two and so on and so forth. It's that growth comes from that pain and it's, you have to hurt in order to learn. That's just the way it is. Nobody really enjoys sitting down and reading a book until you do it. And then you go, that was so worth it. That was better than scrolling TikTok or watching TV because I pushed myself to do something I didn't really want to do. And I think even people who are avid readers, like it's probably hard for them to sit down and read a book. You know what I mean? So it's, it's about pushing past what you know and what you feel in order to get where you want to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Because a side note, I hate working out. Me neither. I do not like working out. But once I get past that point then it's like it almost becomes like an addiction but getting there is so much work so it's like kudos to those people that are like gym goers which I hate all of you by the way you can go to the gym and do all of that because it sucks and it's horrible but also kudos at the same time because I'm the type of person that I it just sucks and I'm just like I think I just dwell on everything else in my life to where it's like, I don't want to have to work on my physical shit when I have so much internally that I want to work on more or I just want to avoid it all. Yeah, it's it, that's <laughs> that's like the ticket is just like, hey, if I don't do it, it's not going to hurt. And but I feel like that ties into the everything, everything that we're talking about, like really ties into relationships because we carry everything at, like as personal individuals and we're all just putting on a show, I feel like. I feel like we're almost actors and actresses all the time to everybody on the outside spectrum. But those who you are in a relationship with see who you truly are yeah or they're trying to make you be who they want you to be yeah either way and so relationship wise you're constantly just trying to put on that show that everybody's trying to put on like i'm a hard worker i go to work i pay my bills i do this i do that i'm doing great I feed my kids. I get them to school. I go to parent-teachers conferences. I do this. I do. Like, you're always trying to give yourself that instant gratification of, I'm doing okay. But inside, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, that song from, uh, 
Dax, all the men who are screaming inside but won't make a sound, I feel like we're all like that in a way. And, and it's funny you bring that up because that was definitely a problem for me in my last relationship because I spent so much time and energy trying to put on a face that wasn't my face because I thought, well, my, my partner wants me to be stoic and strong and just handle things and, and be the traditional man who just like is straightforward and handles things and is just quiet and a deep thinker and all this. And it's like, that's not really who I am. And, and it took me a while from then till now to realize like, I, you should never water yourself down for anybody. And I've developed this theory of like, if you can't handle me at a hundred proof, don't bother trying at five proof. It's cause you're not going to get it. I'm me unapologetically from whatever point I figure that out until the day I'm gone, that's who I'm going to be. And it's like for any, you know, potential partner going forward or any friendship or any relationship I have, this is what you get. If you don't like it, don't bother. And like what you were saying with your partner sees all of that. Like they're going to see you at your best and worst moments. You know, they're going to see you when you get dressed up to go out on date night. And then they're going to see you when you're being a slob on Sunday. They're going to know you because they have to talk to you. Like you're trapped with them in a way, not trapped, but like in the moments where I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah you're, you're kind of trapped. Yeah. yeah. We're like, <laughs> you're, because you want to be, yeah, it's, it's a choice. Yeah. It's yeah. a self-inflicted thing. But it's like, it, knowing what I know now, I should have never done that because I should have just been like, this is who I am. <clears throat> I make stupid jokes. I laugh about things I shouldn't laugh about. Like, I have a lot of crazy thoughts in my head. I, I, I'm neurotic. I'm all these different things. That's the version of me you should have got. And then you could have decided if you wanted that person or not versus... I gave you this false impression of who I am and you didn't want that person. So it's like, that was in a way my fuck up. Right. But I think you kind of get tempered as a man to believe that like, these are the things you're supposed to be when it's total horseshit. You shouldn't have to just be quiet and roll over or show your belly. You should be able to express what you want or what you think or how you feel without judgment. But we're so ingrained to this idea that we're not supposed to do that. And it doesn't even come from a place anymore. There's, it's not like dads are out there telling their sons, nah, dude, just shut up and do your fucking job. Nobody's saying that anymore. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a strange place to where, like, we're still so ingrained with this old school mentality that didn't work then. It doesn't work now, but we still do it. And it's, you got to basically, like, be broken down to the most basic version of yourself to get away from that. Because you go, I don't want that anymore. It didn't work. It didn't work when I was married. It didn't work when I was in a long-term relationship. It doesn't work with my friends, with my family, with anybody. It doesn't work for me. Why do we still do it? Yeah. Like, why is it ingrained into us so hard that we have to, like I said earlier, put on a show or be an actress or an actor being what we feel like other people need from us other than just being ourselves. Which, there's a bad side to that. There is. 
because then you can go back to just narcissists. Like, I remember, it was probably about two or three years ago, thinking and looking at people who I've had in my life that are narcissists, and I'm like, there was a point where I almost envied them because they love themselves too much to where I'm the type of person where I don't love myself enough. So I'm like, how do they do that? How do they love themselves so much? They have way more self-respect, way more self-love than I can ever give to myself. But then I had to sit and look at the reality of the situation and go, yeah, I'd much rather be me and sit in my puddle of fucking misery than suck off other people and try to absorb their love because they really don't love themselves. No, they don't love anybody. They that's really the have no love. No, they, there's no sense of empathy for anybody, especially themselves. And, and again, that's capacity. Like, they have this false illusion that they've created for themselves that I'm so perfect and I'm so great. But it's like deep down when they're alone by themselves, they know that's not true. Hence why narcissists always find a new supply. Yeah, you wouldn't need a supply if you were that full of your self-love. Exactly. If your cup was already full, why do you need to drink out of other people's cup? But I do think it's a stigma for people, especially, I guess that I was that's what I was trying to get to is... When you say narcissist, people say, oh, they love themselves so much. Now they don't. No, they put on a really good show about it. They make themselves look like they love themselves, but they really don't. No, they don't. And and it's strange. I won't say with straight up narcissists, but people I know with narcissistic, narcissistic tendencies the way they kind of jump from one source to another to another and again that's a big part of that is just being stunted you know if if you get kind of stunted in your emotional and intelligence growth at let's say 19 or 20 years old but now you're 50 so you've had 30 years where you're still being the same person and, and you feel like you're too old to like create your own personality to be who you actually want to be or who you actually are underneath you just latch on to one thing after another after another after another and that's why you'll see some people who are actually are quite narcissistic and you look at them and you go dude I feel sorry for you like I my heart goes out to you that you are so hollow and broken and you can't change a fucking thing about yourself because you won't acknowledge what's wrong with you. And it's so sad. It and is. It's very sad. Like, I went through that moment of when my therapist was like, it, sound, it sounds like you not only are codependent, but it sounds like your ex-husband's a narcissist. I'm like, what's a narcissist? Never heard the word before. Never heard the term. Had no idea. And so she explained it to me, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's him. But then my codependency still being there, I still wanted to fight for his name, wanted mm-hmm. to fight for who he was, wanted to fight for his good parts that actually weren't there. Yeah. But I wanted them to be there. And it turned into this whole mess of, I guess, self-discovery is what I want to get to. Because 
they literally do just suck everything out of you as a human being to where you don't even know who you are. So after going through therapy and realizing that I was in this codependent relationship, what was in this codependent relationship with a narcissist, and this is before my mother, and that recognition, it's like, I don't even know who I am. Like, my self-identity was non-existent. So I'm like, here I am in a new relationship, so what am I pouring into a cup with somebody when I don't even know who I am? Yeah. So going into, like, relationships, how many relationships do we just jump into as human beings because we're so empty? You know, you know, like no, and that's a very solid question, and I've that's a question I've posed to myself a lot lately. You know, because when you when you're on a, a healing or a growth kind of journey, it's lonely. You feel alone all the time. That's the, the way it is by design. You're supposed to feel that because when you're lonely, you have to latch onto yourself. You have to learn to love yourself. And then I think about like. Uh, having a potential relationship with another person and I go would I do it because I feel lonely or because that's the right person for me and to me in my understanding it's like I'm not in a position to find the right person I, I don't go out enough I don't go looking enough I don't search enough so it's like unless the right person happens to fall in my lap it's not the right person you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it's just understanding that it's like I have a ways to go before I'm going to be in that position to where it's like I'm ready to have a full relationship with somebody because I don't want to go in with my cup half empty or half full. I don't want to go in with an empty cup. I want to go in with a full cup and not because I'm going to pour into their cup, but because their cup's already full too. So it's like we're just a table full of drinks here, not just... Oh, I got to take care of you and I got to fill your cup because you feel empty or vice versa. Is that realistic though? Do you feel like you could find somebody? Because we only live like on average to what? 75. Like nowadays, yeah, around 75 to 80 years old is our like average lifespan. In that short amount of time. For us, it seems like a long time, but at the same time, that's a short, especially working at Hexel. My life's never gone by faster. <laughs> right. Is it realistic to think that you're going to find somebody with a full cup? No. Your cup should never be totally full. And, it, we, you know, we were talking about it last night about, you know, completing your goals and things like that. And I use the term never-ending finish lines or eternal finish lines. Because if your cup is full, you're going to stay stagnant. You're going to go, I'm good. I did the work. I'm done. I don't have to go any further. So your cup is never going to be full. But if you find another person who at least has that same mindset to go, my cup's not full. I have more to get in there. I've, I've got more space. I have more room for more to be added. That's plenty. Even if a person can just be honest and say, hey, my cup is only half full. Cool, that's good enough. That means that you know you have more space. But that doesn't mean take away from me to fill your cup. And as long as you can have that boundary. And, and that's a big thing 
that I wanted to bring up with relationships was boundaries. But having that boundary with a person, especially with a new person, you have to say like, you have to be able to have that honest conversation and be like, I've been through this. You tell me what you've been through. And I'm going to tell you what my boundaries are. You got to tell me what your boundaries are. We got to see if those match. Because if they don't, thanks, but bye. Well, that's exactly why I asked you. Because when I went into my current relationship, I felt like my cup was full. For the first time since I was the age of dating that my mom would allow. <laughs> so I didn't start out as young as my teenager is. She's got a boyfriend. At 13 years old, which is crazy to me. But anyways, my first boyfriend, I was almost 16, 15, going on 16 years old. And even then, it wasn't even really a boyfriend relationship. It was the religious boundaries of you could never be alone. The um, co-dating or having like a chaperone always there. And then I just jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship. Always being empty. Never full. When I went into my current relationship, I'm like, oh yeah, my cup is full. Sitting here now with this podcast, I'm telling you, my cup was empty. Like, I thought my cup was full. I, it was empty. And we had that, like you were saying, boundaries. We definitely went over boundaries. We had conversations. The communication was so open. Mm -hmm. It's like we had expectations, everything that we thought we needed. Then going into the relationship, it's just like we're constantly pouring into each other's cups, like sloshing into each other's cups. So that's why I asked him, like, do you think that there's ever a point when you really truly feel like you are full? Because I've had that point in my life where I thought my cup was full. I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew what I needed. But then you have this whole other relationship, this other person, human being coming into your life and going, now you're empty and I'm going to help fill your cup. I think that's that's the goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just that understanding of... Um, like when you went into it feeling like you were already fulfilled in a very large way. And then you get into the relationship, which entering a new relationship makes your whole world topsy-turvy no matter what. Especially when it's... Oh, yeah, the honeymoon phase is a real thing. Yeah, when it feels real even through the honeymoon phase, which it arguably it always feels real through the honeymoon phase, but I don't think that's true. Um but I feel like because you're going to go through this whole big life change, you're going to be with this person, you're committed to that person, you, you know, you move in together, you have kids together, whatever it is, that cup, the flow is going to ebb and flow. But when you went into it feeling full, that was the right thing. But it's just the way that it just turns your world upside down and sideways. Yeah, your cup is going to empty a little bit. And then, yeah, you are required to fill back and forth. I mean, that's the way I look at it. But having that conversation about boundaries and requirements, I think is was like the most paramount thing to be like, I will accept this, I will not accept this, and so on and so forth. And just making sure that you mesh together on those things. 
then it doesn't matter if your cup goes empty or if it gets full or if it's half or you're pouring into them and they're pouring into you. It doesn't matter because now you're in a partnership. You're in a relationship where that's required of you. And there was kind of a point where I very much disagreed with my ex where she liked to point out the fact that it's not up to anybody else to make you happy. You have to make yourself happy. And it's like, Yes, to a large degree, but we're in a committed relationship here. I also here. need you to stand in my fire. Yeah, stand in my fire. And there's days when your cup's full and mine's empty and I need a little and vice versa. And it tended to be vice versa more than more often than not where it's like, yeah, you know, you're going through these things and you've got this and I pour out of my cup to pour into you. And then when my cup was empty, I needed a little bit back and I didn't get it. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people in relationships is you got to understand it's not always hunky-dory. It's not always about like what you want and what you need all the time. Sometimes even when you don't feel like it, you have to pour into your partner's cup. And sometimes they need to pour into yours. It's also very difficult to be like, yeah, dude, my cup is fucking empty right now. I, I could use a little, you know, especially... And again, I hate to beat a dead horse, but when you're a guy and you, you know, you kind of have this bullshit sensibility that you're not allowed to speak for your feelings, which you should. Well, no, I'm not, I'm going to bring up some of my notes thinking about that because something that I realized, like being a female and being with a lot of losers Sorry, not sorry. There's only one man that I was with for the longest term relationship or even to this day. Like, he could call me right now and he could say that he needs me. I would be there. But to a certain extent, I'm going to respect his current relationship. I'm not going to overstep any boundaries of their marriage or anything. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, he's a good man. Period. Outside of that, I dated a lot of losers. And they might feel the same way about me. They could not be wrong. That's everybody's personal feelings. But one thing that I realized when I tried to start dating again is I went back to a previous relationship that was never technically a relationship, but he was a lot older than me. Hmm. I shouldn't say a lot. He was nine years older than me. That's a ton. That's a lot. Seems like a lot. (laughs) But that's why I say it. maybe it's not a lot because according to research and statistics, on average, men emotionally mature at the age of 43, according to science and studies. I'll agree with that. And women, it's 32. Let me check my, yeah, 32. So that's 11 years. Of difference of maturity between men and women. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you think about women dating men that are a lot older than them, it's because I feel like women are, they, like we mature so much older. And I don't, I, for even me as a woman, I can't grasp that concept because. I'm 34 years old and I feel like I'm, I barely know what the fuck I'm doing all the time. 
So it's like this concept of thinking that we're more mature than men. Are we? Like, I don't, I don't, I guess I'd have to do a whole bunch of research and become a scientist about it, but I know a lot of men, including yourself, my Thomas, and even just a lot of guys that I work with, I'm like, I feel like they are on a mature level that I haven't touched yet. So what I'm just, I guess I'm trying to ask you, like, what's your opinion on that as far as t statistics saying that women are more mature than men? On average, potentially. I feel like intelligent women mature the fastest of all the species, right? I think a big factor that plays into it is when they had children. So, and I really hate saying this out loud, but I'm pretty sure Please do. every woman I've dated or had any kind of like romantic relationship with had kids in their 20s. And it almost, almost always ends up the same way that when they reach their 30s, they figure out they're unfulfilled. And therefore they have to go out on their own and they have to go live this party life and do all these different things to fulfill the decade that they missed of their own life. And therefore those women, they're going to mature at 43, just like I am because they're going to have to go ahead and throw away eight to 10 years of their life where they got to catch up for lost time. And I hate saying that. And I know it's a, no. a real big generalization, but that's my experience. So that's my lived in truth. No, that's so true because that's what I was going to get to because as I was researching it, that's exactly what it is because they're saying that, let me just look at my notes so I don't get my facts wrong. It says nearly 70% of women are the ones filing for divorce. See, I read it as 80. But that's in the first marriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just the first marriage, not the second or the third or... My grandma was married five times. I don't know. Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> so, but as far as like what it broke down to is like just the first marriage, women are the first ones to file for divorce, 70%. So the majority is on the women. And yeah. so I completely agree with that because the more that I researched it and looked into it, and I am also one of those women to where it's like, yeah, I had kids early on. I was pregnant when I was 19 and then had my daughter at 20. So when I turned 21, I was breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time I hit my thirties, I'm like, where the hell did that life? Like I could, I totally missed out. And I never really went through a huge party craze where I went bar hopping or clubbing, never done it. Really don't care to. I feel like if I tried to, it would just be weird and awkward. I don't know. It's, it's just not for me. But I do feel like a lot of women, even my age, do that. And they have kids at home. They have husbands at home or ex-husbands. Yeah. And it's like... So that's why I'm asking, like, in your personal opinion, are we really mature mature no <laughs> or is it just the fact that we didn't 
have what men had at a young age. If that makes sense. Yeah, the question makes sense. You know, um, as an early parent myself, I kind of go like, um, even with my ex-wife, right? So we had the two kids together and we were together for like um, eight years. And it was, uh, we were both 23 when we split. And she had kind of got into that. It was like the party phase, catch up on missed time or whatever. And, and I wasn't interested in that. And I'm still kind of not. There's like a part of me that goes like, I really enjoy hanging out with my friends because I have a great group of friends now. So that is important to me. But like the party thing never really did it for me. So that when she wanted to end things and granted there, there's a lot of other factors into it. So it's not just me pointing the finger saying it was her, 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 like I did shit wrong too. Um, but yeah, so when she wanted to end things, I think that's kind of where her emotional maturity stopped for a while and mine had to keep going because I was on my own. I was by myself and obviously, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in heartache or whatever and, you have to find a way to push past it to get through it and you have to grow and learn. And I did that and then she didn't do that again for a while. So I think in some ways, because of the way time chunks got ripped out of the timeline, I ended up being more mature than her. And again, not throwing shade, but like even with my second big ex or whatever you want to call it, there was kind of that same problem you know, where I think in a lot of ways she kind of missed her 20s. So she wanted to get out and experience and do all these other things. And then when that relationship was over, I was right back to fucking square one where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm empty again. I have to fill my own cup back up and I have to mature and grow and learn and heal. The only difference is I'm older now than I was then. I'm, I'm 38. My ex-wife and I split at 23 15 years later like I don't have the same kind of options and things that I can do that I had then because I was younger now there's certain parts of my life that are set in motion that really kind of can't be undone so I I feel like now I'm at a point where I have to push further and harder than I did before even though on a physical level my body is not the same at 23 my mind is much stronger than it used to be. But now I also realize like, not only do I need to push further, it's less about doing it in like a retribution because of how I felt, but because of where I want to be. Versus back then when I was trying to, you know, heal and grow, it was like, I just, I just want to get better. So I don't feel this way. Now it's like, I want to get better because I want to feel a certain way, you know? And I, and I remember this guy was talking about um, the old man in the rocking chair syndrome thing where he pictures himself as an old man in a rocking chair and he pictures all these amazing, great qualities about this old man. And he's like, that's what I strive towards. That's become my goal of all those things that I'm not capable of right now that I will be and have been capable of when I reach that point. And I kind of go off that same principle that it's like, no matter what happens with any relationship with mine going forward with anybody, 
I still have my goal of where I want to get versus before I didn't have that. I just didn't want to hurt. Now I want to be the best version of me that I can be. And I'm not doing it for somebody else. I'm doing that because I want to be that. And I think that's a level of maturity that a lot of women just aren't going to ever get. And it's not because they don't want to. It's, I think a lot of that is because it's so easy for women to find new relationships, to find suitors, to find people who are interested in them, whether it's just for the physicality of it or because women intrinsically have what men want. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I do believe that because women are so quickly able to find a new partner so fast that they're never going to have these big gaps in their life where it's like, you have to be alone. And I'm not saying that I couldn't go find out a, a partner, but I will acknowledge it's not nearly as easy for me as it is for, you know, an attractive woman, right? It's just reality. But just being able to have that time, not just being alone, but also with this goal in mind, and not having the availability that a woman has in terms of suitors actually kind of plays in my favor. You got my mind thinking. Because I agree with everything that you're saying, but to a point. Because yes, women do have more options than men. But to a point, like, I definitely could have been in a committed relationship before I had met Thomas. But they weren't, in layman's terms, good suitors. They weren't somebody that was going to fill my cup. Yeah. Even though I thought my cup was full. It wasn't somebody that I would be like, oh, yeah. This is somebody who's going to help me grow as a person, help my children. Yes, he would provide, or maybe he'd do the dishes or take the trash out. <laughs> but overall, I don't know if women really do have more options than men. Let me put it this way. What is the one thing that men want the most? It's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sex. Okay, if you physically have the parts to do that, men will automatically be attracted to you. It's it's just biology. It's the way we're hardwired, right? So, when... I think when women naturally have that power, and I think most of them are very aware of it, because... It makes me sound like such a dick saying this, but it's like for a woman, I guarantee you can think of at least three dudes that if you and T broke up right now, who would try to be in your inbox right now? Oh, more than three. See, there you go. <laughs> if, okay. if I was still in a relationship and you asked me that question, I couldn't even think of one. You see what I mean? It's, it's It really is... Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that there's always options for women but yeah. are they good suitors for what women 
really want. They're not, but that's where I think women tend to imbue narcissistic tendencies more than men. Because women will use other people to make themselves feel better, even if it's just for that moment. Like, oh, this guy's talking to me. He thinks I'm pretty. He wants to fuck me, whatever it is. And they'll go along with it because they'll get that temporary dopamine rush versus the delayed gratification of I'm spending this time on my own to do the things I do because I'm not after delayed gratification. I want long-term gratification and I want to earn that shit. And that means going from A to Z and it's a long road from here to there versus a lot of women, especially after a long-term relationship, They'll go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be single. I'm going to stay by myself for a while. And they're dating right away. Or you give it just a little bit of time and they found another full-time relationship, you know. And it's like that's not going to make you more whole as a person. Right. You're just going to find yourself right back where you were when you left me or you left that other person or whomever it is. And, And it's like I kind of feel sorry for you because you can't seem to find it within yourself to really love or care enough about yourself to just be alone for a while and understand the difference between feeling lonely and being alone because they're two very different things oh yeah so it's yeah and it doesn't help you know like i said when females have the biological parts that men want so you're always going to have people banging down your door Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I guess that's why I'm questioning, like, even what science says or statistics according to Google. Like, I honestly don't feel like women are more mature than men. Like, maybe they are to the sense of like the word nurture because women we we are nurturers like if somebody is sick or hurt we're just like we gotta fix it we gotta be there if our kids are sick it's just like our whole world's crumbling around us we're just like we gotta fix it we gotta put a band-aid on it get the hot water put them in a bath are they running a fever Mm -hmm. like so we're nurturers but there's a difference between being nurturing and being mature Huge difference. And I feel like when I read the statistics... I fucking hate that word. (laughs) Statistics? Statistics of women being more mature than men. Yeah, to a point, I think we are. But I think it's more on the nurture spectrum. And so I guess, for me, that's something that I'm going to personally just work on to figure out why why do studies show this? Because I don't feel like I'm any more mature than a lot of men that are my age. To a point I do, yes, but that's for men who have never been in a committed relationship, never been married, don't have kids, but then again, even the relationship I am in now, yes, he's been married before, but he doesn't have kids. Mm -hmm. But he has so much more maturity, and he's teaching me to be a better person, and a better mother in ways because he has maturity that I didn't grasp because he's just his cup is fuller than mine 
So this whole aspect that women are more mature than men, I don't agree. I just don't. I think there's a biology behind it. And it's a proven fact that a woman's brain synopsis runs way faster than a man's. So we could take the same thought, right? Let's say we're given the exact same piece of information at the exact same time. Biologically, you're going to process it faster than I will. I think there's a big difference between did you process it fast or did you process it over and over until you really understood it? Fast is not good. No, it's not. In any situation. And that's why... (laughs) And I've known so many women over the years that will like love to point out that they're overthinkers. It's like, yeah, but if you only overthought about it once, do you really understand it? Versus if I overthink about it a hundred times and then I finally figure it out, I go, okay, now I got it. It just took me a hundred times longer than it did you. Which is why I think some women... Who actually heal from broken relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is, they are able to move on faster in a way because emotionally intelligent women will sit there and they'll chew on different things and different ideas and problems and they will figure it out and they're going to figure it out a lot quicker than I am versus mine is like I have to learn from the whip instead of the carrot so I have to just keep beating it in and in and in until I finally get it. So I think if if that's a measure of emotional maturity, yeah, I'll give you that one. But I don't think that's the case most of the time. And I think most men spend so long in their life living in like quiet destitute of just like dealing with their pain and having to deal with it alone. And, and I'm not, you know, just trying to beat on women and say men are superior, but I think men are better at processing their own pain because they have to live with it and they don't feel that there's anybody to help them. And, and, and I'll fight that I think most men understand nobody's coming to save you. You have to do it yourself versus I think most women understand that there's always somebody who's going to save them. Right. Whether it's another man or a therapist or your best friend or a or colleague. A parent or, or, yeah. or even your own children sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've, I've been told many times in my life, fucking buck up, get over it. And that's the number one thing I will not tell anybody is to just get over it. If it was that easy, nobody would be in pain ever. Yeah. So I I think men just intrinsically have to learn how to deal with their own bullshit individually, which means the more you do something, the more efficient you get at it. And, And I think that's why we mature at a different pace because we don't regress so much because it's like, I know what it feels like to be in that spot where, you know, you're heartbroken and you're hurt or, you know, you feel sad and alone and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going back to that. So I'm going to have to learn whatever I got to learn to not go backwards. And I think more women are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll fucking date this new guy who's paying attention to me. And then they end up in that same spot over and over and over again without taking anything away from it. Which to point out, which I'm not saying there's coming from somebody who has been in a domestic violent relationship so not being insensitive at all but how many women stay in a domestic violent relationship compared to men a lot like women literally will get their asses beat 
to the point of like your arms broken both of your eyes are black you you've lost a tooth or two and you're gonna go back to the guy for the seventh time so I think your point is very valid like women will definitely regress instead of progress yeah and, and again it comes back to that spending your time alone for a, you know some amount of time to really learn who you are and what you want out of life instead of just going this is the safe option or I know this and there's a comfort level there or I'm going to try this new thing that I intrinsically know is going to end the same way or whatever and and it's a huge point of regression because it's like you're not trying to propel yourself forward you're just you take two steps forward and one step back yeah yeah you'll eventually get there but you're not going to get there as fast as i am because i'm only taking steps forward you know what i mean so yeah well the woman's stuck over here double thinking at 60 times no once she processes (laughs) it once and calls it good no it's i also think that there's there is a very bad habit with women kind of going back to that I didn't live my 20s thing is that women and I know this is kind of like becoming a beration on women and I'm not trying to do that but this is my perspective and I think when women get bored in relationships that's when they want to leave but they're not leaving for any sense of like trying to be better for themselves they leave just because they're bored or you know your relationship gets stale or whatever it is women tend to just jump ship because it's like well I'm not getting what I want okay well what are you bringing I'm gonna kind of stop you right there all right stand in that fire let's go (laughs) I'm not gonna say you're not rock because I know plenty of women do that but I also know a lot of women like me where it's not out of boredom it's out of being tired because there are a lot of men out there that don't want to step out of their comfort zone. And I've been guilty of that too. To where you try to tell them over and over again that I'm not happy, I need more from you, and then they come back with responses like put your big girl pants on which is what they've been told you know buck up wipe your tears get up off the ground suck it up we'll get through this and it's not because they're saying it out of insensitivity it's i feel like it's just their natural response to that's what i've been told that's worked for me but it didn't no but they're putting it out there like it is no and, and again that that's just capacity that's because this is what i know out of this little keyhole perspective that i've been taught to just buck it up and go forward and so they think that that's an excuse to go forward and it's another thing that comes back to is just having some empathy to go i, I don't expect you to just like pull yourself up by your bootstraps it, it has to be like, okay, well, what is it you, you're not having? What is it that you're being unfulfilled with or whatever? And yeah, it, an immature man is going to go with that very blanket excuse of just cowboy up, let's go. 
versus knowing that you're with a mature man who's going to go, what is it you're unhappy with? Let's deal with it. You know what I mean? But then it's kind of like even when that option is presented, it's and that person still leaves, you still kind of go like, okay, they were bored, especially when they move on very quickly. It had less to do with you and more to do with that person and how empty they feel that they had to go find a new supplier, a new sense of attention or whatever. It's, it's, and I, I think men and women both that go through that, go through that period of like, why am I so useless or invaluable or not valuable or whatever in a relationship? But you have to understand like some relationships just aren't going to work because that person you're with is just empty. Well, yeah, which is my another point is like, I agree with you. What you were saying is about women being bored and just wanting the attention or something new or I'm yeah. Seen it multiple times. Same. <laughs> Way too many times. More than I just even want to think about. But at the same time, there, there are a lot of women that are like, I know you can just think about even men that we work with to where it's just like, maybe you should go get some personal help. And they're like, no, I'm fine. <clears throat> I don't need help. I'm good. Women hear that all the time in relationships. Like, they're mm-hmm. putting all their effort in. My cup's empty. Your cup's empty. Let's fill it together. And the man just says, now I'm good. I'm okay. Like, he's just in that survival mode. Just yeah. going to work, coming home, paying bills. The routine thing. And so there is that point where for there there are a lot of women out there that are really putting in all of their effort into a man. And they just say, yeah, I'm fine. I agree with that. And I, and I really hate making it be like one gender versus the other. I know it happens on both sides. It, it just a lot of that comes from just my own perception of things. Yeah. And, and, and it's, again, it really isn't about a gender Role. I don't think it is it. That, that's why I was saying, like, when I look up all this shit on Google and they're saying women are more mature than men and men this and men that and this woman files for divorce and that and this, I don't think it's really a gender thing. It's not. And there's a, there is a huge trade-off that doesn't kind of get talked about a lot. It's a lot of men that get bored in their relationships and then they end up cheating. And I think that's kind of the other end of the spectrum is like, yes, okay, these women are unfulfilled and they're unhappy or whatever. So they tend to leave. And then these men over here, they're unfulfilled and they're unhappy. So they cheat. And I I think that's just like the black and white of it. And then you have all these people who are stuck in the gray. But I think the reality is, it's just like, and it's standing in people's fire. And it's like, you have to be able to go to your partner and say, I'm unhappy and this is why and and I've had that conversation a few times of like well I'm unhappy and so I need this then you could try to provide that but it's like if that person is still unhappy after that there's nothing you can do it, at that point it's not you it's that person and it's a harsh reality to accept and I think a lot of people tend to be with people who are too much and in my book now, knowing what I know, I kind of go, you know, if I'm too much, go find less. Because I am who I am and I'm not going to change and I'm not going to water myself down for you or anyone. And I think 
more people need to be that way because it's like we're, we shouldn't be living in a facade of who we think our partner wants us to be. It, we should just be our genuine selves, and if your partner doesn't want that, let them go. And I love that. So you're on the whole aspect of if I'm too much, go find less. I'm on the concept of you can't handle me at my worst. You don't deserve me at my best. I agree. And and I know that's, that kind of became a trope for women, that phrase. But that doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't. Because if, if I'm going to have a partner, I need you to be on all ends of the spectrum. If I'm really failing or struggling or whatever, I need your help. If I'm doing the best I've ever done, embellish it. Like, enjoy it. it. Like, if I'm giving you everything because I'm receiving everything and I feel great, great, you win. If I'm down at the bottom and you can't put your hand out to me, go, go find somebody else's hand. Because I know I can lift myself up. But if you're not willing to help me get myself up, then we're not, it's not going to happen. I've been down that road and I know where it goes. And it's just like, people have to understand their own sense of value. And especially in a, in a romantic relationship because everybody wants what they want and you want you what you want. But if you can't find that common ground to go, okay, this is what we both want together. You got no hope. There's nothing's going to happen. But I agree. Best and worst. If you're going to be in a committed relationship with somebody, you have to be able to handle all of it. Even if it's all at once. Well, I think... I love that concept or that saying for myself personally is because I give you everything at my best straight up front. And then you slowly realize that I'm just a human being and I have my faults. It's kind of like that... I guess honeymoon phase people like to say yeah so in the beginning everything's great everything's fun everything's just perfect little flaws here and there and then you fall in love but then you see me at my worst because I'm just not that perfect hopefully you still love me when I'm down here because I'm gonna come back up here because that's who I am well and if it's real that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, there's a lot of people that like put their 100% up here and then all of a sudden they just stay down there. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and I'm kind of the odd duck where it was like, I remember this phrase from a movie and it stuck with me because it really kind of illustrated how I felt. And I'm going to butcher it because I can't 100% recall it off the top of my head. But it was like, we like people for the great things about them but we love them for their flaws. And I always appreciated the flaws in a person more than the good things about them. I actually did like when it was like a person you're with didn't like a certain thing about themselves, but you love that thing about them. Or like they were negative and bitter about something, whatever it is, but you still love that about them, you know? And I think that's how real love needs to be predicated not just like oh you look great with makeup on but on your sunday lazy day you look like a troll like no i i prefer the troll you know or like yeah you look great when you put on your dress but when you wear your sweatpants i'm totally unattracted like no i prefer the sweatpants you know and i i think that's how 
real love is supposed to work. And it doesn't matter if that's a love for a, a partner, romantic partner, or your sibling or your parent or whatever. You should be able to love them for their flaws just as equally as the good parts about them. And that's one thing I've always kind of been proud of myself for, that I never predicated my feelings towards somebody based on their 100%. Yeah. Like, show me your 0% and we'll go from there. Because yeah. you only go up instead of back. And to me, that's way more important. Same. But I kind of get the mutual feeling that we found people at 0% and they just somehow went negative. <laughs> it's happened more than once. <laughs> Same. But there really are, I guess, on the topic of relationships in general what I really feel like it comes down to is are you the person you want to be again never ending finish lines yeah I, I don't want to be the person that I want to be I want to keep growing into being that person because if I'm constantly growing into that person then I'm not going to go backwards well, I'm, start, I'm talking about like a starting point Oh, like it, like if I was to start a relationship right now? Yeah. Are you where you need to be for any relationship? For your daughter, for your mother, for your parent? No. Same. Like, neither am I. But I'm always working towards something. And I feel like there's so many people that go into relationships that are like, they have like this protection of... This is me. This is what you get. If you don't like it, then f go fuck off. Yeah. And it's like, mm, is that truly how you feel? Because if it is truly how you feel, then I deserve better. Because I'm not there even for you because I'm not even there for me. Isn't that like the hardest thing to say? <laughs> yes. It, it's become so easy for me to say now. But for most of my life, I was never able to consciously say, I deserve better than what I'm getting or what I have. And Same. I don't know if that's like a humble thing or a comfort or whatever it is, but my bar is pretty high, right? And I know that I may still be on the low end myself, but it's like if I was to meet a person who meets all that criteria and can stand above that bar like I'm going to rise above too yeah I, even and if question it. and yeah and question and it. question it. well and here's the thing about people that I've had to learn a very hard way it's like when something ends or doesn't work out we go back and we analyze every detail about it we question everything that happened along the way every single detail we do that with every bit of failure. Why don't we do that with success? Why don't we go, I did this one thing really well and I won and I got the prize that I wanted. Why don't I go back and analyze everything that happened with that? Why don't I question every decision that went into getting there? And I think when, when you have that sensibility that you have to ask questions no matter the outcome of something that you'll ask questions along the way that are going to get you where you want to be because it, it's not an overanalyzing thing. It's an understanding thing. It's an understanding. I made this decision versus this one. 
and this one got me here. Or I made this decision versus this one, and now I broke even. Or I made this one instead of this one, and now I'm a little bit behind. And it's, it, it's understanding the process to which you win or lose, fail or complete. It doesn't matter. You have to understand what got you there. And it, the same goes with relationships. It's easy to look at a relationship from a retrospective point of view and go, yeah, I, I did this wrong or I didn't do this or my partner did this wrong and I or didn't do this. We never look back and go like, what about the good things? What about like the things that did work and the things that were right? You know, how did we get there? Was it natural? Was it a matter of choices? Was it just uh, environment? Whatever it is. And I think that's something that we do have to apply to future relationships. Not just in in a, a way that it's like, oh yeah, it's going to fail, so i got to pay attention along the way. Like, what if it's going right? Pay attention along the way. Yeah. Just my thought. I agree. We're growing, Dave. We're constantly. Growing. Constantly. Every day. Kudos to us. Yeah. It's like you said the other day, we don't get credit enough for how hard it is to just be a person and I think that applies to everybody even the shit bags and the narcissist and everybody else in between it's hard enough being a person yet trying to be a person who's trying to make a relationship work with another person yeah it's difficult no matter what yeah every aspect of every relationship that you're in no matter what It's either really great or it really sucks. And it's really hard to find that in-between that really sucks and really great. Like, <laughs> it's just always that constant. Like, I feel like as people, we always tend to look at the bad Yeah. within ourselves and our relationships because it's so easy to ponder on that bad. I'm not a person that's like easy at like giving myself a pat on the back for something that I do good. Same. I'm really bad at it. Really bad. Something I've been working on for like the last six months now. Pat yourself on the back. Like I literally say it now verbally out loud. Which in a weird twist way sounds like in my head sounds weird. You're going to talk to yourself out loud and say pat yourself on the back. I'm working on that. I deserve it. Yeah. And I feel like we as human beings don't do that enough. We literally will get stuck in our heads in this cycle of all the shit that went bad and everybody's thoughts about everything. And you can't, rep like, you can't improve your own relationship within yourself or any relationship outside of that if you do not stop and thank yourself and pat yourself on the back for doing something good. It could be the smallest thing. You have to congratulate yourselves on the wins. You just can't dwell on it. It's the same as if whatever goal line you finish, you have to say, I did it. I'm proud of myself. I did a good job. But you can't just sit there forever and be like, rest on your laurels is what's that, what that's called. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't because then you just go, no, I'm good. I stopped right here. I won. That's good. It's like people who peaked in high school. Yeah, I got this football trophy. That's great. You're 45. What are you doing now? You know what I mean? So it's it's just understanding that, yeah, you completed this one obstacle. Celebrate your victory. 
go find the next one. Not just find another goal, find another victory. Because goals are easy to find. You're all around. You want to learn a second language. You want to learn how to play guitar. You want to do this. You want to do that. Yeah, those are goals. Did you actually accomplish those? That's the ticket. So one more thing I wanted to bring up on relationships, and I wanted to get your perspective on this. And I've, I've been in this chair before where I've had to forgive infidelity. Is that something that's within your range? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm pretty sure I told you this. My very first committed relationship that was actually like what I consider a relationship, lost my virginity. He told me years later, and I still know him to this day, his nieces and nephews are like my nieces and nephews. I feel like they're family to me. But he told me years later that during our dating period, which is high school time, and then we got our first apartment together, he told me a year and a half, two years later, that he, during our relationship, he cheated on me 22 times. That's a lot. Like, I was like, you were counting? Like, it was a goal? For like, a lot of dudes. All, like, when he told me that, I'm like, you want me to give you 22 star sticker? You can't count? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and... And I've also told you, like, I, I hate infidelity, not all because that, because I also grew up in a home where my biological father wouldn't work. And my mom worked two to three jobs supporting me and my older brother. And then when my third brother came along, second brother, but we were three kids all together, she worked all the time. My mom was never existent for the first six years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I watched my biological father cheat on my mom in front of me and my siblings, like on the couch, mm-hmm. in their bed. Like they didn't hide it, like full blown have sex in front of the children. That's terrible. Type thing. So infidelity me, like, yeah, I fucking hate it. But then there's this other part of me to where I, I do have other friends that have been in long, long, long-term relationships, like 15 years together, and one of them had stepped out, and then they're still together because they worked through it. So I think I'm just the type of person to where I think if it happened to me personally, I'd tell you to go fuck off. <laughs> I'm not going to put up with it. Yeah. But for... I'm not going to judge anybody in an opposite situation, I guess. Like, I'm not going to judge you if you do put up with it in your relationship. For me, no. Yeah. I can't. I I always feel like that's not necessarily like a dividing question. But to me, it's always an important one. Because it helps to kind of like establish a baseline with a person of who they are. 
by what they're willing to put up with. And I've not been an angel, you know, like I, I had stepped out, you know, I cheated on my ex-wife and I would never do that again to anybody because of the guilt that I had to carry around for a very long time for that. I don't wish that on anybody, but I've also had to forgive for infidelity before. And I, for me, I think if that person is truly, what's the word? Um, like in search of forgiveness for it, you can do it, but it's hard. It, it, it doesn't come easy and it takes a lot of fucking work. And it's like that person who did it has to work their ass off to earn that trust back. And, and a lot of times it still just doesn't work out. Well, that's what I was saying. My number one beginning of this podcast, trust and loyalty. Yeah. Like if you break that for me, it's going to be a long road ahead. Yeah. And it's, and that's one thing that for anybody who like didn't, wasn't loyal to me and broke that trust, no matter who it was at any given time here, forward, back, whatever. Like if, if you're not going to show me that you want to make amends for that and you want to make things right, then don't bother. Just go on about your day. You can live with the fact that I hate you or I don't want anything to do with you or whatever. You can go carry your bag of bricks around the same way I did unless you're willing to earn it. And again, that comes back to the respect of like, if you can't respect me enough to actually own up to what you did and take accountability and show me that you want to make amends, don't bother. Just go on about your way. And I'm going to keep going in mine. So, with that said, I think we established a few things here. Respect, trust, loyalty. The loyalty thing goes a long way with me with friendships. Just regular friendships. Like the way you take care of my name when I'm not in the room means a lot to me. And if I have a friend, which I've had many, who didn't take care of my name when I was in the room, and I kind of go, you're not really my fucking friend. And granted, I've, I've been the same on the other end. There's been many people who I feel like we were friends, but I can't take care of their name. And I've had to come to the realization that it's not necessarily me being a bad person it's just that was my way of realizing that person's not actually my friend because I feel this way about them and I'm realizing that more and more every day that there's people who I've treated as friends and I've thought of as friends but they're really not my friends and it's hard and it's painful because friendship is valuable and and it and it matters but there's just people that I just can't do it with anymore maybe that's my and you shouldn't and no, and I shouldn't. And maybe that's my maturity or maybe that's my level of growth that I'm at right now. But It's both. Yeah, I, I can't pretend anymore. And, and you shouldn't. And that is maturity and that is growth. And that's why I am a very lonely person these days. Hey, you still, you still got me to kick around. I know. I know. But I'm saying like on the aspect of family and relationships that I've had for decades 
I've literally had to cut out so many people that I miss every day. And if I truly think about it, I'll cry right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I've had to realize that I've hung on to relationships that don't benefit me, don't benefit my growth, don't benefit my children, and just don't benefit my future. I agree, and I, and I feel like if a relationship doesn't serve you in a positive way in any shame, shape or form, you have to learn how to let it go. And, and I'll give you a case in point. Like my best friend throughout high school and throughout my 20s and so on and so forth, and, and I give him credit because he's got a family and a job and he's the breadwinner and all that. But I would text him like every couple of months, every two or three months, and you know just say, hi, how are you doing? And for the last year, I haven't really gotten a response. I had to make the conscious effort that I'm not going to try anymore. Because if you can't take five seconds to text me back, I obviously don't mean that much to you. And therefore, you don't need to mean that much to me. And, and I have other friends, especially friends who I know that are going through hard times or whatever. And I reach out a lot. And, and I think that that's like my people pleasing nature or it's my empathy or just the part of me that cares for people and doesn't want people to hurt. And I'll reach out even if it's a simple text message or a call or whatever. And it's like, if you can't respond to me, your hurt doesn't bother me anymore because I'm trying and I did try and you can't take five seconds to respond to me. I'm not going to try anymore. And it's, you know, I spent enough of my life going like when I was having hard times and most people didn't reach out to me and you have somebody who's reaching out to you and you can't show any kind of care in return, it's not worth it anymore. And yeah, so it's, I feel the same. Like sometimes you just got to kind of cut people off and go, you don't need to have access to me anymore. And it's not easy. No, it's, it's not. one of the hardest things you'll go through is cutting people out of your life that you love so much. That I you agree. put in so much effort and time. And not, not even personal time, just your own mental time. Yeah. Worrying about them, thinking about the, how are they doing, should I stop by, should I pop in. I have stopped by. I have popped in. I've been there for your divorces. I've been through through this relationship. I've been there for that. But when are you there for me? And when it's kind of like weighing out your pros and cons, which is something I wanted to bring up in this podcast and we didn't get to. No, <laughs> let's think, bring it. I think we're running long, aren't we? No, we're good. Go but ahead. I feel like pros and cons for me, which is something I can be grateful for my mother for. My mom always did teach me to weigh out pros and cons. And listening to it as a child, I'm just like, I don't know. This kid likes to make snow butterflies and angels in the snow, and that kid wants to just throw freaking snowballs at me. What what do you mean by pros and cons? So it was really weird for me to concept that even as a little kid. But as I got older and really put that into my relationships, it kind of backfired on her because it's like, wow. My mom really taught me this my whole life. As far as my pros and cons of my mother, pros are way down here compared to my mom's cons. <laughs> like, 
but I really think like we should do that with every relationship and the hardest relationship to do it with I feel like if you have children is with children and I'm not just talking about your blood children that's talking about stepchildren that's talking about kids that are nieces nephews people who really need adults yeah in their life that are constantly around you pros and cons are something you always have to weigh out friendships blood ties everything it's even something you have to weigh out when it comes down to like should i keep my cable bill or should i (laughs) like pros and cons are something we should always do no matter what it's true you you have to balance out equity how much is it worth to keep putting into something right and and i've kind of come to terms with certain friendships recently where i felt like i was putting in a lot and I was getting less than nothing in return. I was being taxed more than I was already giving. And and we've talked about this. And there's a couple names I'm sure probably pop into your head. But I also have to feel that way with like... It's a little more vulnerable to bring it up. But like my ex's kids. And I still think of them as my kids. And I'm always going to. But what's the pro in me reaching out to them? I almost never get a response. And like that kind of family dynamic is gone. So it's like, what's the pro in me trying, you know? And, and I had another friend who, um, her ex-husband was more like her daughter's husband. Even it's not his kid, but, um, when their relationship ended, he kind of stopped reaching out. And at first I was like, Oh, what a shit bag. But the more I thought about it and the more I've kind of worked on things, the more I understand. I get it because there really is no pro. Like you get to fulfill a little tiny part of yourself by by hearing from them or uh, knowing what they're up to or how their life is going. But the con is like you get to hurt more. Yeah. And I'm kind of done with that. You know, I'm kind of past that. So it's like... If they were to reach out to me, big pro. I'll play along with that. But me reaching out is just a straight con. And it's been the same with other friends of like... Uh, one friend in particular, you know, I, I, I try to reach out to and have a moment. And like have a moment of vulnerability with that person. And I just got shut down. And it just like... It was a straight con because that sucked. And all it was was just like a shut up and get over it. And it's like, okay, clearly we're not on the same level as friends. And therefore, I I don't need your friendship. I need your friendship or like, uh, you know, Scott's friendship or T's friendship because those are people who there's a pro in being a friend with because they support me and I support them versus people who don't add any value to your life. Like you said, it's hard to cut them out, but at the same time, you got to go, I got to do what's best for me. At the end of the day, I am stuck with me, not you, not you, and not you. It's just me. Yep. And you're not adding value, you're detracting value, and I only have so much. Get on my level, bitches. That's right. Get on my level. And if you can't, I will love you from afar. If I'm that, not going to let you know that I love you from afar, but I still do. Yeah, no, and even if that, I've gotten really good at, like, just disassociating from certain people. Because it's like, yeah, we used to have a good friendship, but you didn't do anything to nurture that. 
and I was doing all of the nurturing, and I'm good. I've been in the, the negative balance for so long, and now that I'm finally somewhat in the positive, I'm not pouring out of my cup into yours. And you know, there are people in your life that like, their cup is so empty and they refuse to fill it themselves. It's like, you're not going to make me go negative to make you go positive for five minutes. Oh yeah. They drilled a hole in the bottom of their cup. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's yeah, you're never going to reach. No, you're, you're never going to They got to start up. working, filling up their bottomless pit before you can start reaching to the bottom of the cup. And there's no way of doing that. You can't. No. That's all their self-work. It is. And and that's a hard thing to finally accept. But I think at the point I'm at, where I accept that within the limits of relationships, no matter who it's with, it makes it a lot easier for me to just walk away. Well, I'm glad it makes it easier for you. I haven't found the easy part yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I feel like it, I guess maybe I should say it this way. It's not easy for me right away. Yeah. And then it becomes easier. Like I see the aspect after I have a night of sleep and then wake up the next day. Then I'm like, yeah. And even if I didn't approach it the right way, cutting off a relationship, it could have been out of anger. It could have just been flat out ghosting them as people call it this day but ultimately I know whether I need to go back and try to kinder that relationship or just know you made the right call no matter how much I feel like I still want that relationship eventually you do figure out whether you really need it want it or deserve it's it. not good. Yeah. Well, time is the ultimate regulator. And to me, I'm not going to say there's like a certain amount of time. But there is an amount of time where if a person I feel very close to doesn't reach out to me, that relationship is not worth saving. Because, especially when you're talking a year or better, you want to reach out to me now. You know what I mean? Like, where have you been? You know what I mean? So you kind of go like, if I wasn't valuable enough for you to, whatever it is, swallow your pride or maybe stop scrolling for five minutes or actually put some kind of effort into maintaining our relationship. And it doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. It's not worth it to me. You went over a year without talking to me. Don't bother. Same. Yeah. Just cut off a relationship that I had with my even now I just want to say my best friend because I've known him since I was in fourth grade. He was in sixth, but I was in fourth. I was there for him when his dad passed away. We grew up together. We grew up in the same religion together. Everything. But he's one of those friends that is so emotionally unavailable and unstable. Hmm. And then years will go by and all of a sudden he's just my phone's ringing and I'm just like, hey. And they're like, oh shit. 
that's you. Yeah. And you know you've already tried to reach out, but that was years ago, and you were left on red. So you're just like, what do you want? What do you need? Yeah. And then they get upset because it's like, you, oh, you think I'm reaching out because I need something from you? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I If need. that's what the evidence supports, that's what it is. You know, and I've even had like uh, ex-girlfriends or ex-flames or whatever, or women I've connected with that'll just randomly message me at one point in time. And it's like, okay, it's a Saturday night and it's 1130 at night. No. She's had many glasses of wine. Yeah. like Shots of tequila. Or whatever it is. Yeah, no, you, you're <laughs> drunk and you're feeling low, and, and I'm sorry for you. I've been in that position many times, but no, I'm worth more than that. And Weigh those pros and cons. Yeah. And it, it's just not worth it, you know, and it's, it's like when you have a friend who only reaches out to you when they're having a hard time, but when you've reached out to them when you're having a hard time and they can't be bothered with it. That's like the number one for me. Or the worst thing is they reach out to you and you haven't heard from them for years. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to the Westerner Saturday night. Oh, yeah. And then you try to call them the day before and then the day of and then at the bar. And all of a sudden you just go straight to voicemail multiple times. It's like, you literally needed me and I took your call at work. Yeah. And you needed somebody to vent to. But then... But when, when I, I just needed reci- you to be a friend. When I tried to reciprocate what you wanted from me, you're just like, oh, I, uh, my phone was dead, or I lost my phone, or I forgot to pay my phone bill, or whatever excuse you want to make up. Another time and point of my relationship with somebody, even recently, is just like... Weighing out my pros and cons. Yeah. Cons are going way up, girl. You know, and I have another friend who's going through a hard time, and I express, like, you know, if you need to talk or vent or whatever, you know, you reach out to me. And then I, I messaged that person a few times over the last few weeks, hey, just checking on you, say if you're okay, you know, whatever. I hope you're having a great day, blah, blah, blah. And I get no response. And then I kind of go, okay, that person doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to them. I tried. I tried to be a good friend. I tried to reach out and show you some support. And you can't even bother me, bother to text me back. But I can see that you're on TikTok for hours on end. Your phone is in your hand. And you can't do it. I'm good. Where I I just go like, that's not worth it for me to keep trying. That's very one-sided. And I feel like... Because I put myself out there to be a support system for you and, and you can't even respond or just say thank you or just say I don't feel like talking right now, which I was a totally acceptable answer. You can't say anything. Instead, you just leave me on red like we're good. You go do your own thing. I hope you get better. I hope things are better for you, but we're done. And it, just that disassociation of like, I'm not getting anything reciprocated at all. I, I, and I'm not hurting, hating on anybody who's like, if you're having a hard time and you have a hard time reaching out, that's all you got to tell me. Just say, I really appreciate your support or care or whatever, but I don't want to talk. 
cool. We're on the same page. I get it. But yeah, I, I just can't do it anymore. I can't keep being there for people who can't be there for me. And that's in any kind of relationship. Absolutely. And I'm finally mature enough to say that that's not my ego talking. That's just me understanding my value. Well, it's, it's just respecting yourself. It is. It is. You know, you, you can't feed a closed mouth, so why try? Any closing thoughts? You said that. I was just thinking of that TikTok of everybody trying to feed Ryan Gosling. Have you seen that? He's just all stone-faced. Trying to feed cereal to Ryan Gosling. Just remember that every time you're trying to feed a relationship, it's not going to open their mouth. Yeah. No. Trust, loyalty, respect, I think. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. I know this was a heavy conversation, but I feel like we handled it. I think we did great. Yeah. We're going to have to do another one here soon. I don't know about what, but i got to stockpile more episodes. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm game. Awesome. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye.